The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by two very cool co-hosts. Lauren Ash. And Shane Kelly. And this week we are, well, we don't really have a game to talk about this week. Uh, a bunch of things. Oh, I do. Well, okay, kind <laughs> of do. We have we have some things to talk about, but we don't really have a, so much have a, uh, a game in our traditional format. So we thought we would just, since we were going to get to game chit chat anyway we're friends we'd like to get on a call and talk and think we thought we'd make this an all what's making us happy this week episode which is our excuse for you know patented name for just a grab bag of tacos we got a few things that we thought we might talk about this week i think a few uh, other people might own that patent so maybe that, that's true you know, we patented by someone else what's making us happy this week. blatantly blatantly ripped that off from pop culture happy hour with apologies to that much more famous and well-known podcast thank you pop culture happy hour uh you know eventually i like i don't even listen to pop culture happy hour anymore and so i forget that we ripped them off and so i'm like oh yes our patented segment <laughs> that we we invented we did not rip off that at all Mm-mm. the thing i love that they've been doing lately um and i i just have to throw this out there is that they they seem like they're doing their podcast a lot shorter and a they lot are. more um like focused on one specific movie or whatever so they're not even doing what's making us happy they are they do it on fridays much. they do it on friday yeah, they do yeah. it once a week we do it every episode so we're oh. doing it at least as much as they are I feel every like we episode we don't talk for more than an hour and a half on <laughs> yes yeah that that is if listeners if you haven't picked up on it that's our uh our our uh scheme is that we do what's making us happy if we have if we get to the end of the episode and we're not all dying exhausted uh but this week since we're we're waiting till next week to talk about uh the next game on our list which is uh uh uh, dodgeball academia uh which i'm playing and really enjoying but we aren't far enough to to discuss yet just uh life is complicated this week boy is it ever um but uh, yeah, we just thought we'd talk about a few different little topics. And so the first thing that Shane suggested we talk about was he bought a new widget. I did. Um, and it was kind of a surprise that it arrived um, months ago, uh, at least two, three months ago, I spotted a deal on the Amazon refurb store for an Oculus Quest 2. Um, and I've always been really fascinated with VR, but, you know, I, I already own one VR headset, which was the PSVR, and I don't even really have my PlayStation set up to use it anymore. So I wanted something to try out, and I want to see what, what the, the new hardware was all about. Um, and the the new hardware is really good. And, you know, despite what, um, you know, the unpopularity of Facebook as a company right now, I really Which wanted mean to try meta. It. I don't mean I guess I do. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I'm I'm not like this isn't a review of the metaverse. This is a review of like the Oculus Quest 2 and uh, and my my experience with it. So I, like I said, um I bought one refurbished. So I got a good deal on it. And then Amazon was like, "Uh, get lost. Well, t- it'll be there when it's there." <laughs> uh and so it sat in my order history for like 
two, three months um, as, listed as, uh, you know, delivery time will be updated soon. We'll let you know. And, uh, you know, I called them and they didn't know. Anyway, out of the blue, no warning on my porch a couple of days ago uh, is this Oculus Quest 2. And the hardware for this thing is so much of an upgrade from the PSVR that it's not even it's not even close. The um the headset is lightweight, much it's lightweight comparatively. Uh the controllers are so much better than what you would use with the PlayStation VR. The PlayStation VR um used reused the light up wand controllers that were created for the eye God, what a nightmare mm-hmm. those things and were yeah, yeah. they're garb they were they were junk the ones i had uh used like a usb b like the weird yeah. pyramid usb to charge and yeah. credit really where it's due, like it, it was like a bad it was like not a very good solution but the the playstation vr came out pretty early like days for vr like it's been out for years now it was it was out at a time when uh, like it was launched at like 500 bucks or something at a time when like comparable setups from uh from like straight yeah know, VR things were like double that price and a big part of that was rather than invent brand new controllers with fancy tech in them they repurposed their PlayStation 3 Move controllers which which hampered the system like really badly for the entire time that PlayStation VR was a thing because you mm. didn't have a, a joystick and you literally like and they weren't very good at sensing motion. They sucked. They really sucked. Yeah. Occasionally, the funniest thing would be your hand would just rocket off of your <laughs> virtual wrist and like shoot across the room. No. And it was so <laughs> bizarre. And the other thing that would be so annoying with that is uh, properly leveling the floor was sometimes a problem. Like you had to like dial it in in a particular setting and it would really start to wander around. Like suddenly you're getting shorter. (laughs) The floor, the floor is coming up. It's hard to say which. Um, So all all of that pretty much has been solved um, on this headset, which um, the setup experience for it is pretty cool, actually. So what you do is... Uh, when you put it on, um, you you see through the cameras a really crappy black and white version of the world around you. And then you reach down and put a controller on the ground. And that's how it identifies where the ground is. Okay. And then the um, controller lets you basically paint a safe area called the guardian boundary. Right it's like what you do with a Roomba. <laughs> Um, (laughs) do you do you do that well this is this is very visceral you're like literally drawing a circle on the ground and um you're now you are a Roomba in that you won't bump into things because when you start walking outside that circle no matter what software you're in um it will fade you back to seeing through the camera um Mm. so it all that is a huge improvement and um like I said, controllers are a thousand times better. The um, It even has the ability to like do some hand tracking because the smart thing here, 
and I, I, I haven't really used one of these self-contained VR gadgets before. The PSVR, remember, it has a camera that you have to sit in front of. And mm-hmm. you yeah. really, you have to face that, that camera. That's fairly limiting. So you can't, like, stand up and, and walk around. It really was a seated experience primarily. Yeah, or standing, but standing in a very particular spot and make sure you don't, like, get too close so that your head goes out of frame for the camera. Mm-hmm. It was bad. Yeah, that was kind of an, <laughs> that was particularly annoying. Like you would stand up and now, uh, now you're, <laughs> and then it would lose track of where your head was and you'd sort of find your, your head, feel that your head is floating away. Bizarre. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's a lot better about that because it's got four cameras, I think, now on the front of the visor. Um, and so it's using that to track, uh, it, very occasionally I have had it lose track of where the, hand controller was but only when i was like looking like off in one direction and reaching behind me which is not terribly relevant in a lot of game experiences um like you know so and even then it was it certainly wasn't like rocketing off of my body and flying away like it did sometimes in psvr um like you're some sort of gundam or something (laughs) doing a rocket punch (laughs) absolutely so I, I got that set up and I, I got started. And it's also really, I think, worth mentioning how nice it is not to have a wire to something at all, like having having it all be wireless. Um, now, I was really interested in this thing because I know, so I have, now I have this gaming PC, right? So I, I want to try out some of the, in particular, I want to try out Half-Life Alex. That's the mm-hmm. thing I really want to play, right? I have not gotten to play Half-Life Alex yet. That's stretching it for the size of the game I'll play for this podcast anyway. Trying to fit that in is going to be a little tough. Um, But, you know, so I wanted to start off trying out some of the stuff that you could install directly on the headset. And just like last week or so, uh, I think they released Ultra Wings 2, which is the sequel to my very favorite VR experience from the PSVR. And so, of course, I've been trying that. Before I get into Ultra Wings 2, um, I want to talk about one last thing about the headset, which is I am a glasses wearer. Mm -hmm. I prefer big, chonky, dorky glasses. If you're buying one of these Oculus headsets, don't do what I did. Consider um, Consider the size of your glasses frames. Um, I, I want to. I don't have my glasses here with me. I switched. Yeah, to I just know. I, I just realized you're wearing. I assumed you wore lenses, contacts which... so you could play Oculus. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wearing contacts today because I'm playing with the Oculus. Um, the Oculus has a face guard, right? That is removable and swappable. And if you wear glasses, they have an insert that adds additional space between the lenses. And your glasses. That's good. You don't want your glasses grinding against the lenses. They'll both get scratched. Probably the Oculus first. Anyway. So my problem wasn't really the space there. My problem turned out to be the width of the glasses. And for the only way for me to put the headset on with the glasses. um, You know, spacer made made it fine front to back. I would have to take my glasses off. Put them inside the headset and then <laughs> put both of them on together. Oh, no. And, yeah, that's kind of awkward. Um, VR, it makes it just 
that much more annoying to and like literally in order to fit them in there i would have to kind of bend the arms a little bit i would have to close the arms of the glasses and then kind of slide the glasses in at an angle then pop them open and put the whole thing on my head kind of annoying wish i had thought about that i'm now in for i think like another 70 bucks on a set of removable um like prescription lenses for this thing yeah or i could just get used to doing the contacts when i want to use it but i don't know we'll see we'll see how much of an annoyance that is it might actually be cheaper for me to just do the contacts when i feel like playing vr but uh um, yeah well i i want to ask a little bit about the weight because i've had a really odd uh, my my exposure to vr is very scattershot uh i've played your <laughs> playstation vr at your house uh, the brief time we were together in in person, we decided to spend it with me looking elsewhere with right. the VR headset on my head. Um, yeah, there was some fun stuff in there. Was there a was day. a fun stuff. But I, I've also um, did some work with a Surface, which is, is incredibly heavy. Um, and that was quite a long time ago. But the Surface was undeniably heavy, and I got um, headaches after 10 minutes of wearing it. So I'm curious how – for like a longer experience, um, how much lighter is it? Lighter than the PlayStation VR, or is it somewhere between? Because it's it's got more tech built in, so not sure where it falls on the. Um, another issue I was having is like the, where the weight was distributed. It was yeah. like towards the back of the head or the front. I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what it feels like. That's to, to me. That's the um, that's the thing that matters a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Is the distribution of the weight like? Adding two pounds to the weight of my already very weighty head is not necessarily going to tire me out that fast. Mm -hmm. But if that weight is hanging awkwardly, then it really does. Um, I I don't know the weight exactly. I could look up the numbers. I definitely think this thing is lighter than the PSVR. Or I don't mind about actual weight. Close. I just want to know yeah. if it feels lighter because the distribution is better. Yeah, the the distribution isn't perfect. Mm. They separately – I don't think this is – maybe this is probably a cost-saving move. There's multiple strap options for the Oculus uh, 2, whatever it is, Quest 2. The one it comes with is really functionally decent uh, and kind of – and lightweight – you know, it's like an elastic band that you can kind of cinch at the back, mm-hmm. and it has like a Velcro strap that goes across the top of your head, and it's quick to take off. It's quick to put on and take off, uh, which you know is really nice. Uh, but it does have all the weight at the front, and it's kind of uh, has to be tight in order for it to be form fitting to your head, right? Because of the elastic, and they also have a pro strap. Which, if I were wearing this thing all day, I would want. I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm never likely to spend that long in VR anyway. But um, the Pro Strap is a lot like the one for the PSVR, which I I think is really good fit on the PSVR. PSVR had um, a adjustable hard sided strap where you would adjust the diameter of it essentially with a little knob, mm-hmm. and that fit a lot like a baseball cap, you know, and it was adjustable to tighten it down um, so that the weight was spread around your whole head rather than uh, being kind of hung from the front of your face. Now, 
Um, listeners won't know this uh, because, of course, this is an audio medium, but Reagan and I have a really convenient <laughs> shelf. Um, yes. Built into kind of, our skull. A little which, bit of a pre-Cambrian. You know, we're, we're high forehead. Yeah. We have a regal high forehead, uh, but we also have a very prominent brow line, which forms a very useful sunshade, um, throwing our eyes into into shade, you know, in the heat of the day. We're well suited to standing in the rain. Uh, never and gets in our eyes. Absolutely. It runs straight off the front. Absolutely, absolutely. It's perfect. Uh, a perfect gutter system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the new benefit, I'm always finding new benefits to having a, a just a titanic dome, uh, <laughs> is that the, P, the VR headset hangs nicely off of my brow line. Uh, now, over time, it does leave a very solid red mark right across my prominent brow mm. line. But uh, I think that not, only not accentuates shame. No, so, I... so what I'm saying is every time you're playing this on your lunch break, you're coming back and you have just like a, a giant mark of shame across your forehead. <laughs> it is worth considering. You want to, you don't want to just like <laughs> rip this thing off and then immediately like, – Maybe not before, like, a wedding or a graduation photo or an Don't important Zoom Don't jump directly into a, a, yeah, an interview or whatever. No. That's very yeah. funny, Shane. Yeah. If you're having your wedding in VR, I think this is something you should consider for the photos. You know? Mm-hmm. People are going to come out with a real – like, the Oculus logo is kind of a little pill-shaped um, circle, right? That – is going to be emblazoned across your face by the the donut of the uh, of the padding on this thing uh, when you take it off after your four hour play session. So watch out for that. I am very excited to check this thing out with you. I don't think I'm completely sold on the idea of owning a new um, uh, headset. It's one of those things that's like I'm interested in, but like um, I'm probably going to need to check it out in person with you before I decide whether I want to. Uh, plunk down 300-ish dollars on one. Um, sure. But I am interested to hear what you've been playing on it because it's uh, it's definitely like there's this whole other um, scene, this whole it, – it's like you know I, I'm pretty clued into like what's happening on Steam and on most of the big consoles in terms of the kinds of games that we would potentially cover on this show. But there's a whole – there's still a whole – it may be small, but there's still a whole like scene of games for VR that I never even see. And I don't really see them discussed either because I'm not like listening to VR podcasts or watching VR YouTubers or whatever. So right. what are what were you excited to play on this thing? <sighs> like I said, like I mainly bought this thing as a half-life vehicle. And just mm-hmm. because I wanted to just make if that once now that that's available, I am going to be exploring that. But uh what I found as I kind of booted it up for the first time, um I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'll try some, I'll download some games. I found out, like I said, Ultra Wings 2 um, had ju- has just come out, right? Ultra Wings 1 was is the thing that I was kind of hanging on to the PSVR for. It's a lot of fun. Um, so what, what this is, Ultra Wings is a um, simplified flight sim, right? And the, the, the way it plays out... Um, I don't know if you ever played 
pilot wings on the SNES, right? I did have a little bit of exploration of that a long time ago. It's it's a it's a sim where you get a few different planes and you can fly them from island to island in a little island chain. Um, but the the cockpit experience um, is just, I think, especially on the PSVR, that was something that works really well. But in VR in general, like if you can sit in one place and do something cool uh, in real life, uh, that will translate pretty well. Ultra Wings brings like uh, a, a like interconnected series of islands and a bunch of little jobs you can do, right? And um, Wind Waker the- style. Yeah, well, sort of. Um, if uh, if if when in Wind Waker, um, you were just like landing at a series of airstrips. Uh, sure, yeah, <laughs> kind of. I are, just was excited about islands, but yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it would be a lot cooler if you could get out and walk around the islands. But from the air, the islands are pretty sweet. And every time you get a new airport that you can take off from, um, you. Uh, uh, you get another little ready room that you can explore on foot, which is kind of cool. Um, they've added a lot of everything that I liked to Ultra Wings 2. Um, one of the most fun things in Ultra Wings 1 were some of the missions where you would be uh, like you'd take off your little airplane and uh, or ultralight. Uh, and you have a pistol in one hand and you go fly around and shoot balloons. Right. Super fun. Um, the sense of like motion in in the jet where you can like do flips and loop-de-loops and stuff that that's it's very convincing and realistic and fun uh the graphics looks like something out of the n64 (laughs) it's real cartoony but i actually really like that you know it's very relaxing to fly around over these like little cartoon cathedrals and red roofed islands full of beautiful little buildings uh you know and when you, um, you know, I, I want long term, I would like to set to try out something like um, Microsoft Flight Sim. Um, and I think I can do that in VR. I'd like to really give that a give that a try. But um, the controls in Ultra Wings are really simple. You get like a little one stick and you've got your thrust and your flaps and your uh, little startup sequence with like two or three switches. But they're like cartoon versions of a uh, ultralight, a uh, like a a fighter jet, a helicopter, and uh, a biplane. Right, mm. uh, it's a pretty good selection, and you can check out these different islands. And I just find it so chill and relaxing to go island hopping. Right now, I'm I I kind of did all the missions to get through the ultralight because the ultralight is super slow, but it's also I mean, and it's in the name is really light. the The second plane you unlock is the fighter jet. Uh, sorry, no, it's not a jet. It's a propeller plane. It's like a, it's like a um, an old fashioned uh, war plane, right? It's like a. I I wouldn't. I don't know what to compare it to. It's very. It's a small single seater um, propeller plane. Okay, um, and that's really fun for the takeoff and landing. But it's a lot heavier than that ultralight. So you can get to the other islands really quick. I'm impatient. I want to get there fast. I have been crashing it every time I try to land. <laughs> Just before this call. Uh, so I probably put maybe uh, a couple of hours uh, into the game at this point. I'm about like five, 
four, three, four, five percent complete on it. Um, but the uh, the the challenge for me right now is landing the um, old fashioned warplane. the The thing that they have improved on over the last game, I get aesthetically the the desire to not have this to to have this be a like a chill flying sim and not something where you are engaged in dogfights, right? Okay. Now the first one had a very very minimal use of like dogfights. The second one has like a um like you don't have to engage with the dogfighting. It's in like a separate ops menu for like jobs. And if you're just doing free flying, you're not flying through a war zone, but <laughs> Uh, if you want to, you can do some of these uh, war ops where there's like drones flying around for you to shoot or um, other planes to dogfight with. Um, and that rules. That's super fun in this in this little uh, dogfighter, right? And uh, I'm just having a lot of fun with that. I, I've, I haven't, like I said, barely scratched the surface, but it's a great direct comparison for me moving up from the PSVR. Um, what I'm really excited to try out next just came out today, and that is uh, a sailing simulator. I Ooh. I did some sailing as a very young kid, yeah. and I would really like to get out in a little sailing ship and see if I can brush up the, any of those skills uh, in a simulator. Um, I'll let you know how that goes. That sounds actually like a really good use of VR. I I could totally see that, like a little tiny, like sail a little dinghy around or something. Well, sounds I've downloaded it and I haven't launched it because I was too busy uh, crashing the 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 uh, plane, the little, right? Little airplane. <laughs> Every f- what's <laughs> the, the, the what's the what's the sailing game called? The sailing game is called Marine Verse Cup. Um, and yeah, it seems like a pretty good use of use of VR. I should say that. Some of the game, you know, the the games are not cheap but not expensive. Marine vs. Cup is something like twenty five bucks. Um, so hopefully it's it's good. It's got like a four point seven rating so far. Uh, but these are a lot of people that seem like they were in some kind of pre release update. And you think it looks like you can buy stuff in there, like uh, like buy some dlc in there you you, you gotta you gotta buy wind coins in order to <laughs> i don't know <laughs> no, i don't ship. think it's i don't think it's like that like honestly like once you're like 250 in on the on the quest to like buying a 20 dollar airplane game it's no big deal yeah i mean honestly i just want to try vr again till i can do the room vr it's mm-hmm. so cruel that there is a room game that is only for VR that I may never play. <laughs> oh yeah, it's yeah, no, there is. Was, there is. I'm me. looking forward yeah. to trying that. I I really like the like puzzly experiences in VR, uh, and I also really like the weird multiplayer experiences. Like there's mm. one that I, in a uh, a free game that I that I played called uh, shoot double double mural mirror mirror or something like that. What is it? I'll I'll remember it in a minute. I'm gonna look it up. Um, this was a little free collection of VR experiences that you could download and play. And um, one of them was a, a hide and seek where um, they put people in a lobby of like maybe five people um, 
two of them um, grow to be giants and the rest shrink to be the size of mice. And it is a hide and seek game (laughs) where the giants are trying to find the little guys. And the movement is very weird. The, um, uh, the giants kind of just slide around, but the little guys throw themselves with like a catapult. So they go pew. And then the giants are like throwing big black hole orbs at you. Um, very, very strange, very cool. Um, out of the little collection, that was the that was the standout. So I, I've been messing around with it. Um, but like I said, I, I, the only thing I've really engaged with so far that much has been Ultra Wings. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. I uh, Let us know if you uh, if you come across anything that you think would be good for the short game, because maybe I'll make some time to to uh, uh, to come over to your place and, and check it out on your on your VR setup. I do think it's it's tricky for us to cover a platform like Oculus or, mm-hmm. you know, VR in general, since I don't think a majority of our listeners would have access to it. And certainly a majority of our hosts don't. Um, but listeners, if you have a VR game that you think is short game material, uh, let us know. You know, you never know. Maybe we'll talk about it as a, as a short segment or you know, maybe do an extra episode on it or something. We'll uh, we'll see. I think I can rent them at the Paley Center downtown. Oh, neat. I did, that's actually a really good idea. Mm. Like, yeah, things like uh, like VR. I don't you know. I, I remember renting. You know, I, I never did. But, you know, you, you used to be able to rent a, a console from Blockbuster or whatever. And it seems like the, mm-hmm. the we're in the stage where that would still be pretty relevant for VR. I think you have to play it yeah. there, but that would be just fine for a short game. Yeah, well, I'll find yeah. out. Yeah, if we cool. had it, there's a there's a game I would love to try multiplayer that's called uh, Demio, and that one is a um, uh, came out last year. It's kind of a multiplayer um, card based dungeon crawler hmm. uh, where you know it's looks like a little fancy D and D table in the middle of uh, a group of the players and you're controlling your character by playing cards is what it seems like to me. So uh, I'm still kind of looking into that, but it looks like a lot of fun. That's, that's the kind of, um, you know, if you, if you make something that looks like standing around a fancy dungeons and dragons table, uh, I'm going to want to try it. So, uh, yeah, looks cool. So, Thanks partially to some of our wonderful listeners and our Patreons particularly, I have recently gotten an Xbox. (laughs) I haven't had one since the 360. So honestly, this is um, a bit of a time warp for me to like see a lot of things that I'm quite familiar with, but I skipped two generations at least. I just just one, I think. So it was just the, just the, the 360. One. You skipped the Xbox One and its um various spin-offs. Like, yeah, but they were all just sort of like, you know, different versions of the same console. And then the you have the Xbox One S, not the one X now, right? Yes, Series X. Yeah. S. Oh, Series. That, oh, see, even I'm I'm messing it. We we had endless conversations about this, and even I'm still messing up the the naming scheme. Xbox, what have you done to yourself? And us. Well, it was fun for a while because you could call it the X-Bone, and now that right. you can't. Now it's the mm-hmm. xbox <laughs> Just like a plural of Xboxes. Um, no, I, I only have one. X-S-S? But, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's a, it's weird. I I really I really do think it's part of Microsoft's strategy right now though. They seem to be wanting to make Xbox more of a platform than a piece of hardware. And so they're spreading things out and they had the whole Game Pass thing. Well, that's, yeah, that's honestly that's really... the biggest selling point for me because I essentially had uh, purchased Game Pass to try to see if I could make it work in parallels. Didn't really work, but there was a like three months for a dollar or so, something absurd, like three months for $10 or something absurd like that. So I already had Game Pass before I decided to buy an Xbox and I turned it on and immediately downloaded probably $300 worth of games, filled the whole hard drive up, like immediately went a little crazy. Actually, more than 300 it would probably be more like $600 worth of games. I don't know. It was all free. I just hit buttons. It was like being on one of those um, TV shows as a kid where you could just like shop in the toy store by throwing stuff in your basket. <laughs> like that's how I behaved on the Game Pass. I was supermarket like, sweep. Yeah, I supermarket the sweeped I, the Game Pass. The month I signed up for Game Pass is the only month I've ever hit my uh, Comcast data cap for my home internet. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> I don't man. think I have a data cap, but if I did, it would have You'll been. You'll find out for sure. Um, thanks, FiOS, but. I mean, it just was like a. I set up an absurd queue, and then like a day later, I opened it. It was like you've managed to fill eighty percent of this hard drive. <laughs> Good job, and that's not even without downloading most of the big games. I think I downloaded all of the ones that I missed. Um, of course, what did I do with all of this this beauty and splendor and games I hadn't played? I played Hades for a while. Of course, of, of course, course, like you do. Just like you do. Um, could not resist. But honestly, it's been really fun because I'm not using it for uh, watching TV or media. I have a Roku stick that I like for that. Um, I'm playing it exclusively on my projector. So everything is beautiful and big, uh, often with my headphones plugged into my controller. So I can be a not divorced, quite frankly. Best thing that Xbox ever did was, and yeah, PlayStation, of course, had, has that too, but being able to plug headphones into your controller is like, it's really nice. It's, it's really nice. It's an absurdly good, because to, when I'm normally on the projector and want to use headphones, I have to use, like, stream the audio through my phone, which is just an extra level of randomly disconnects and suddenly a line of Bridgerton will come through at full blast <laughs> in the middle no. of the night. So like, that isn't something that's ideal. Never had that problem with Xbox. A corded thing in the controller, just perfect. And honestly, a thing I'm very happy about is there are so many games I couldn't play in the last year because they were PC exclusives. Tons of those are on Xbox Game Pass. So without incurring additional cost, I can play Death Store, Forgotten City. Um, Forgotten I can City. just go oh, back and such play such a good ton. game. Yeah. So if I'm slow on my future games, it's probably because I'm playing a game that we covered uh, six months to a year ago. But I'm incredibly excited. And so far, there's no... like It is exactly what I want from a console, which is it is completely getting out of the way of the games. I basically go download my free game and go play it. Um, so this is not paid for by Xbox in any way, but uh, Xbox, if you want to pay us, 
Uh, honestly, or, hey, it's, you know what? Uh, it, like Facebook, Apple Arcade. If you want to pay us, I yeah. guess that's fine too. Uh, uh, we'll take the money. I mean, like Apple Arcade, once you have paid the ecosystem, it's very easy to sample. There's a, it's like a library where I can go read a chapter, decide if I want to play the game, bounce off, and there's no downside. I can take a lot more risks. Um, this isn't to say that we're going to only cover these games, obviously. We, we, we like too many games to do that. But it, it does take some barrier down, especially if someone suggests something that's older. I can just dip in. I've already found some that I very strongly disliked. <laughs> um, and other ones I enjoyed. That's why we're doing Dodgeball Academia, because I was able to uh, play a day's worth, say, no, this is worth playing. Let's do it. Um, it's rare that we have time or inclination to do quite as much sampling. But, you know, everyone has those ADD nights where it's going to be more fun to play Ten, like five or six games for 15 minutes, then one continuously. And I happened to have them the other night and we've got several games now in our queue because of it. Yeah. So. yeah I was excited for you and Nate to, to get Xboxes for the show because like I would, we don't, any of us had, because none of us had Xboxes previously. Um, you know, I play on PC primarily. And so it gives me access to most of those games, but like game pass, like, it's a great As deal. It is. It's it's hard to argue with it. Like there, there's there's definitely things about it that like give me pause from like a industry and like health of the business kind of vibe. Which is why I'm saying um, this is not a Game Pass podcast. Yeah. Don't yeah, worry, exactly. folks. Yeah. This don't is- worry. We're we're not we're not not covering Switch stuff. We're not gonna stop covering stuff on itch. But it does like the, the fact that they've set up this service in such a way that like it is so consumer friendly. It is so hard to argue with it as a value. It is such a good deal and a a really enjoyable way to try and play games. Um, it's a huge competitive advantage. And then of course they're buying all these massive studios and their their whole catalogs, like the entire Bethesda catalog, just suddenly pop up on on Game Pass, ready for people to play. It it just becomes this incredible driver for success for microsoft in the game space and like they are winning folks like the the playstation 5 i'm sure is great i don't have one because you can't get them but like you can get xbox you don't even have to have an xbox you can get xbox you can play it on your pc you can play it on your phone in many cases like they're they're they've really they really have a, a a pretty fascinating strategy for like what their next you know decade of games uh, business is going to be like, and I think it's a hard strategy to argue with. And you know, I, it gives me some concern. Like, if you're if you're a AAA company and you're making games, your choices are you know you are pretty open. You can decide like, well, I'll put it out on Xbox and put it out on PlayStation, put it out on PC, whatever. But if you're like a smaller developer, the kind of developer that we like to follow for this show, um, is is this is Game Pass going to ultimately eat the lunch eat their lunch like are we going to end up in a situation where if your smaller game isn't on Game Pass it can't find an audience well i did a little bit of industry research at game club on subscriptions and people who subscribe to Xbox Game Pass spend more money on other games than people who don't like it's just really? an indicator of you like games it doesn't generally like you still buy games 
Like That's people who buy games buy games. People who go to libraries still buy books. Like it's it's the same thing, right? It's not it does not reduce game consumption and game buying. That's really interesting. And unless I, you honestly, are like really it depends on your person. Hear. Like there are people yeah. who just want to play like a Fortnite. Like, but if you're not the type of people who are like if you buy a game a year, Game Pass is gonna eat that lunch. If you are the type of person who is buying an indie game, you're probably not buying one game a year. I have a I have a theory about that. And it's basically just that there is now once you have once a gamer has enough uh like cash to have a phone, which is like ninety-nine percent of people, mm-hmm. there's a there's a level of investment in like what you want to play for absolutely any person's budget, right? You know, there's free games that you can play for free all the time. You can play Fortnite on your phone all the time as long as you want, right? <laughs> you don't have to pay money. Um, Depends on your so, phone, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, you know, once you hit that barrier, there's like so many different price points that, that there's an infinite number of different possible budgets for people to want to spend there. It's... It really is their time that they want to invest, right? And there's such a sliding scale of, like, people's willingness to pay for games both in terms of money and time that, like, every person will have their sweet spot there. It's more like two game subscriptions might be too much for people. Like, they do. Yeah. But – I wonder. It – it might be, but I'm, I think I'm about it's more to cancel like, PlayStation Plus. I'll say that. Like, I, I had a year, uh, sub, year-based subscription of PlayStation Plus, and I haven't booted up my PlayStation in a while, and so I'm turning that off. It's the PlayStation Pluses that are, would lose out rather than like a, a small game that's n- never going to come on Game Pass, or you know, I think that's it, it is definitely going to fight PlayStation Plus for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, you know, PlayStation is like, I mean, there's already rumors, of course, that they're like trying to come up with a, a model to, to match what Xbox is doing, but I don't see how they can, I mean, you know, this is I, the, the, the horse race of, of console wars isn't like my, uh, forte. I'm not interested in it, frankly, yeah, I'm but not like that interested in it either, but it is, it is interesting to see like this shift in the market and to see like, well, what, does PlayStation do to compete with this? Like they can't buy half the industry the way that Microsoft is doing. Like they, they just, it's, it's almost impossible. You know, I think they're, they're, uh, they've in the past uh, had good success by doing things like reaching out more to indies. That's how they propped up the Vita for, you know, 90% of its lifetime was they did a lot of outreach to indies and uh, had, uh, you know, did a lot of effort to bring those people onto their platform. And, you know, maybe an approach they could take there would be to, you know, Microsoft can spend, what was it, like $70 billion or something like that? Money. But, you, um, you know, a thing I will give it credit for is I said a sentence was, that I've never said before, which was, should I play No Man's Sky? I'll just download it. Why not? <laughs> like, now I just have it there. <laughs> like, yeah. if I feel like it, I can just play it. Like, it's that kind of... um it is for me the opposite of a, a paralysis of choice. It's, it is very much a I'm going to go here, see how I feel, pick something. Um, 
I still am playing the Switch. Like, it hasn't replaced it. But that's just because it's different types of games are there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not going to not play a Zelda game. Like, Switch is never going to go away. And there's going to be other experiences that I think are better on a portable system. Um, but it is very nice to have games that have that large barrier to entry that are console like that are like on the expensive side, quite frankly, that I wouldn't have purchased and can now try. For example, Psychonauts 2. Oh, have you tried that yet? I haven't tried it yet, but I like that is probably the next like after I finish Dodgeball Academia and probably it'll be far changing tides will be out and that's another 10 hours. Like yep. after I finish the show's. The show games, I think that's probably going to be my next long. <laughs> After we game. finish games for the show, and then we're all like sitting around skeletons, like, well, someday we'll finish the games for the show. I mean, again, I'm, I am playing Dodge Life Demo and Hades right now. So, yeah, like, yeah. can't. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm always playing, you know, uh, two to three games that are in the background that are not show related. But, um, yeah, it can, it can be tough sometimes. Those things take a while for you to get to. Or it's get mostly through. that I don't want to be playing a platformer at the same time as a, another, like, hand coordination game. Mm. Like, I want my hands to take a break and doing Dodgeball Academia and Hades and then a platformer yep. just sounds like I'm going to get. Uh, just my my fingers will fall off. Mm-hmm. Like I need a fire watch in there. Like <laughs> I got a counter program, or my hands will be tired. Um, that's you know that is kind of my calculus. If if anyone's curious, like how Laura picks different games, I literally want to change the way my hands play games because I I type all damn day on the computer and they yeah. get tired. No, like you got to take good care of your hands as a as a lover of games and as a human being. Mm-hmm. Listeners, this is the dad's corner. Shane's about to give us some very dadly advice. Shane, go right ahead. Tell us how to take care of our hands. Don't get them caught in heavy machinery. There you go. Beautiful advice from the dad. I don't know why you thought I was about to give Sage advice. I have no advice about how to. Take it care just of sounded like a really dadly thing the way you were putting it. Oh, I I actually. I am not a dad, but I do have some advice if you are a, a gamer with your hands wearing out. Um, if you search hand exercises for knitters, that is actually what you want after if your hands get cramped after playing a platformer because knitters are constantly um, clenching their fingers to hold the needles and their hands will get tired and they aren't able to continue. So there are a number of exercises that knitters have developed so they can continue knitting all day long. (laughs) And that is what you need if your hands are cramping up because you've been trying to beat Celeste. Please just do yourself a favor. I guess this is my, (laughs) this is the end of the Xbox segment is called Google hand exercises for knitters. And thank you. And just thank me later. Thank you now, Laura. I also recommend the Astro Jacks for this for this use case. <laughs> we still owe the listeners some video of Shane Astro Jacking. I swear it's going to happen the next time I can. <laughs> Don't call it Astro Jacking. The next time I can uh, unobtrusively sneak a camera to where he's jacking his Astros, I will. I will Excuse record me? it for the listeners. This is getting worse. <laughs> yeah, much worse. Play that transition music. We are done. <laughs>
Well, those were the two topics that we had that were at least more game-specific or game-related. But since this is a grab bag, we thought it would be a good time for us to do more What's Making Us Happy. So we're not transitioning into a new segment. This whole thing was What's Making Us Happy. Laura was happy about her her, uh, Xbox, for example. But uh, we're all happy about more than just games. And so I thought we'd, uh, we'd round this out with some of our more traditional What's Making Us Happy stuff. So um, because you guys have both talked, I guess I'll go first. Okay. Um, We were talking before the episode, and I was talking about how I had planned to do a What's Making Us Happy on the Deedlet in Wonder Labyrinth episode. And because it was an anime game, I was going to uh, show my weeb ass and talk about the anime that I've been watching lately and recommend some anime. Um, but I know, I know that in my, I'm in a judgment-free zone here, right? Never, I know that no, you guys, not, you guys would never, especially not, not Shane, would, would, would never ever make fun of me for would, watching anime. Shane will make fun of you until you recommend girl. something he likes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, well, I'll start with recommending something that I know he likes. Then, just to throw him off his game. So. Um, I, I don't watch a absolute ton of anime, but this season has been pretty good in that there are two shows currently airing this season that I like. And that's actually pretty uncommon. Like I, I keep my ear to the ground about anime, but I don't watch everything that's coming out um, to kind of give you a sense of my tastes. Like I tend to like the stuff that uh, tends towards the more like artsy side of things. I don't really like the big shonen shows like, you know, no offense to the folks who like the uh, like Demon Slayer or, or you know, One Piece or whatever. Like those are all fine. I've watched Demon Slayer. I thought it was OK. Um, I've you know, I've watched a fair amount of One Piece. I've watched a fair amount. I've never really watched the DBZs in the world. I've watched a little of the Naruto's, et cetera. But like none of that really grabs me. That's not really what I'm into anime for. Mostly I like anime for the sort of more um, like smaller stories, you know, beautiful art. Um, I like a lot of the sort of um, shoujo anime. I like things with like romance. I like things with, um, you know, fantasy, that sort of stuff. Um, So it's actually pretty rare for me to find two shows in a single season that I'm actually into. Um, And this this season, I kind of lucked out. There's two shows that I definitely want to recommend, but for for folks with particular potentially different tastes. Um, so one of them requires more caveats than the other. The, the one that I can easily recommend to practically anyone is Ranking of Kings. Shane, I know you are with me on this because we've both been watching Ranking of Kings and I've been recommending it to everybody. I potentially, that everybody that I that will listen to me talk about anime has heard this me talk is, about Ranking this of Kings. This is the one thing is I really have to claim uh, my credit here because this is the one anime that i found out about and recommended to you and then we both liked it so yeah wild how did that happen you, you saw it on tiktok or something i right? did i i saw some people talking about it on uh on tiktok yeah uh, um i i tend to uh i tend to like wait pretty deep into anime seasons before picking up new shows because it takes a while to know like which ones are going to turn out to be really bad or problematic the thing i want to i want to tell people who are curious about it is the animation is really incredible. Like the, the story is good, but the animation is incredible. And you should look up the thing from episode one where Boji fights a bunch of snakes, right? Incredible. Yeah. And incredible you should know, like, animation. this is the same bunch of animators that did the first couple of seasons of uh, Attack on Titan. 
Yes, and it's a those were the studios. seasons I watched, <laughs> so yeah. I liked that show. Yeah, um, they are they're just turning out incredible work here. It's so beautiful. Um, it's it, the um the art style is very unusual for current anime. It has this look that looks a lot like like it has these very bold character designs with very unique silhouettes that are that veer a little more towards like western animation, you know, western animation um It looked like, like over the yeah. garden wall a little. That yeah, yeah great no, example. Totally um although I think if if you compare it side by side with like early anime that was more western inspired like back in the like uh, Astro Boy kind of days when the they would take more uh, they they'd have these more exaggerated characters, you know, the well, we've got a doctor character. Well, of course he's going to wear, uh, you know, he's going to he's going to be uh, big and round and fat and wear glasses and have a huge nose the size of his arms, that kind of stuff. This is the like, kind of anime where, like, if if there were a character that had the exact design of like Popeye and olive oil, you'd be like, huh? Oh, yeah, another weird looking set of people, but they yeah. would fit right in. You know? I, I, and I was listening to another podcast. Uh, shout outs to the um, the Anime Sickos podcast, which is a, a good podcast if you like um, comedians talking mostly not about anime, mostly about uh, what they call the three pillars of modern misery. Uh, 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 anime, oh, sorry, the four pillars of modern misery: anime, gaming, posting, and jobs. Um, and it's just a good podcast about complaining. It's a great, great show if you want a show like that. But I was going to shout them out because they don't, they don't usually talk that much about anime, despite the fact that Anime Sickos is the title of their podcast. But they they did an episode where they talked about um, Ranking of Kings. Uh, and uh, they just said it's a good show about a guy who goes around, a mm. little guy who goes around. And I'm like, yeah, this is just a show about a little guy who goes around. Boji is like a really good little guy, and he sure does go around. Um, it's he's it, got heart. It's, uh, he's got heart, man. Um, he is I would also a really little guy. I'm like Avatar is also about a little guy who goes around. Love it. Perfect. Per- I love shows about a little guy who goes around. Um, it, it's it's a it's a show. I'd also recommend it for people who are fans of uh, of things like Steven Universe. I think it has a bit of a, a through okay. line there in that it's a it's a show about a, a little guy who goes around who's full <laughs> of heart. Um, uh, it's uh, so it's a whole the, genre. I love it. It's a whole genre. the The setup is that it's this fantasy world that is very lightly. One of the things I like about it is that it does not lore dump at you. Um, it, it introduces lore at times when it makes sense to introduce it for character reasons, which is a very, it, it deploys its lore very sparingly over the course of its length in a, in a way that I think is very clever. But uh, what it sets and apart up from you, that, it very much plays off of, you know, fairy tale kingdom style. Uh, right. World. Right. We're all fairy tale, fairy tale world, uh, fantasy world that that you know on the face of it looks very familiar. Um, Boji is this tiny little little guy um, who's the prince. He wears a tiny little crown. He's so cute, and um, but he a is the funny little the froggy mouth. Yeah, he's just he's just this adorable little like little round bodied dude, um, and he's the prince of this kingdom uh, led by a a really really big guy, uh, his father the king, uh, King Boss or King Bosu. Um, and uh, King Boss, depending on the translation you're looking at, is uh, is just this massive king, uh, and his tiny, tiny, tiny little he's a son, giant. He's the size he, of a building. Yes, he's the the size of a building. Um, his his son is uh, is deaf uh, and a weakling, powerless uh, guy, and so everyone thinks he's an idiot and uh, and a failure. Um, and his younger brother is. 
uh, presumed to Prince well, Dida. Yeah, Prince Dida is the is the the sort of even though he's the the younger prince, um, everyone assumes he's going to inherit the the throne because he's not uh, a deaf little weakling pudgy guy, um, and I almost don't want to say anything more about the show because yeah. it is full of just it's a it's a big adventure story. Every single episode, it introduces a new weird guy. Uh, not necessarily guy. There's lots of there's lots of more, women characters more guys that too, go around. Actually. Lots more guys that go around. All the guys. Some of them go aren't little guys that go around. You got the core mm-hmm. little guy that goes around. But. Yeah, yeah. He is the littlest of the guys. But you haven't mentioned his ev- best friend though. Oh yeah, Kage, uh, who is a literal sort of shadow on the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it introduces him pretty early, and he is a uh, he's like a smart talking. Uh, guy from the Shadow Clan, and in keeping with the incredibly wild character designs in this show, the Shadow Clan is a clan of people who are literal shadows. Um, and so he's just sort of a roughly oval shaped shadow on the ground with eyes, and out of the shadow can reach either an arm or a mouth. His mar- mouth looks sort of like a claw that just sort of pokes out on a little stalk out of the shadow, and he can you know store things in his shadow body. Um, and he becomes one of Boji's uh, best buds, and it's it's hard to explain by why the show him. is right by mugging him repeatedly. It's uh, it, but of course he can understand Boji. That's the the key thing. Yeah. Is like he he can easily Boji when he speaks yeah. he's deaf, and so he speaks Pe- with people. This sort will of like, figure out Kage. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's just a he's just another really weird little guy mm-hmm. who goes around with Boji. Uh, it's so good. It has an incredibly fast pace early on. Uh, and then it slows down a little bit as it, a lot of anime has this sort of pacing problem where the, it's like, we're running out of manga, dude. We got to slow down and really pay attention to every fight. Um, but the first half of this show, it's a it's a it's a two core anime, meaning it's like 26 ish episodes or something like that. Uh, and it's almost done. It's on um, Crunchyroll and I think some of the other uh, streaming services as well. And um, it's airing weekly. It's like we're on like episode 18 at this point. So the season hasn't actually wrapped yet. Um, I'm. Not sure where the uh, the whole thing is going to wrap up, but like I can say that this is easily the best shonen anime I have ever seen. I've I, I'm not like a huge shonen anime guy. I told you I'm like I'm not that into the uh, the like dragon slayers of or demon slayers of the world. Like they're okay, not for really for me. But this is strictly speaking one of those. It's like you know it's like a fight of the week uh, thing, but it is so different. It is so refreshing that I absolutely recommend this to literally everyone. The other show I was going to recommend from this season, I'm a, a little more hesitant to talk about because it's a lot hornier. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shane is- L- listeners, that is Shane's head hitting his mic. Yes. Um, so I will talk a lot less about this one. Um, I will preface it by saying that if you are al- allergic to uh, anime horny, which I usually kind of am, uh, I do not recommend this one for you necessarily, <laughs> but I think I, I've, I've sort of fallen in love with this show. Trigger warning, um, anime horny. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, this is the show you specifically said, Laura, do not watch this. Yeah, Laura, I don't think you'd probably like this one too much. I mean, honestly, like I, I, it Which depends. Laura, what is the name of the show? It. Yes. Sorry. The show is called My Dress Up Darling, and it is a anime romance um probably targeted primarily at men um you know this is there's there, there's not a ton of um anime romances that are exclusively targeted 
at men. This one is probably one because it is it is uh, definitely uh, it's definitely horny, um, <laughs> but it's horny in a way that didn't bother me. Please. So I'm Reagan. I I have to I have to just tell you that the reason that like when the, when you recommend an anime on a podcast <laughs> and like in ranking of kings you get to talk about the cool fairy fairy tale element you spent way more of your like mental effort on how kuro little black spot guy's mouth looks or whatever it's awesome and then, like you're you're like really you you've you've told everyone like 10 times that this is super horny and that you don't I just know why to watch it. I, I, and now, just like, not why trying, you think I'm, you want to watch it. Okay, I know, I know, but like, I feel like so embarrassed recommending this show because I, I, it's not my but brand is it to recommend happy? horny stuff. Yes, it is. It's adorable. It's so cute. It's so cute. Um, so it's a it's an anime romance about uh cosplay, basically, or more specifically, it's an anime romance about l- like not being ashamed of loving the things that you love and uh, celebrating sort of fandoms basically. Um, and so it's a, uh, it, it's the, the two main characters are um, this guy who's, Oh geez, all of his, all of a sudden his name, hang on. The names are escaping me. Let me get the names. I mean, I um, literally just came from dinner with somebody who showed me that he was reading alpha Omega fic on his phone. So like, this is, this is not the weirdest conversation I'm going to have today. <laughs> awesome. Um, so th- the, the two main characters are, um, uh, Gojo, uh, or Wakana Gojo, uh, and, um, Marin, uh, I forget her full name. Um, Gojo is a, uh, He's a, you know, they're both high school students because, of course, it's an anime. Everyone's in high school. Gojo is a, a high school student whose whole dream is to be a, uh, uh, I forget there's a, there's a Japanese word for it, but his name is to be, his, his dream is to be a craftsman who makes these specialized dolls. There's this sort of Japanese cultural thing where um, I believe it's like at, at like graduations or something like that. They, they give these very elaborate dolls that are basically these sort of very formalized dolls of um, like uh, old school uh, like courtiers and, and like emperor empresses and stuff. Um, they call like disc dolls. These are little handmade China dolls made up to look like people in old school kimonos and whatnot. I know very little about that. Um, but uh, Gojo knows everything about that. It's his family business. He wants to take over his grandpa's shop where they make these exquisitely detailed dolls, uh, that wear these exquisite tiny kimonos and other, you know, fancy outfits and so on. Um, and so he's spent basically his whole life up to this point, not having friends, uh, and kind of being, uh, being a little bit of an outsider who wears old timey clothes, and doesn't really do anything other than work with his grandpa making these dolls. Um, in his class, he meets this uh, this girl, Marin, who is a gyaru, which is, if you're not super clued into anime uh, and Japanese stuff, um, she's the sort of like uh, very um, over the top dressing. It's a sort of a it's a sort of a, a pop culture. Uh, thing. pop culture it's a, it's a subculture yeah it's a subculture of people who have a very particular way of dressing and uh and it's sometimes seen as like overly sexualized or kind of fetishized it's it's a it's a little kind of eh. um the way that but that what's interesting is like she's uh it, it's it becomes really obvious that like that's an extension of her like really deep love of of clothes and dressing up but not in a like 
but in, in a way that's really about expressing who she is and, uh, and she's really, uh, really unreservedly into the things she's into, uh, you know, anime characters and game characters and, uh, wants to do cosplay. And basically it's this romance of like, he knows nothing about the world of cosplay and only knows about making clothes. She knows nothing about making clothes, but really, really wants to do cosplay. Um, and these two characters kind of coming together and, and like celebrating what they love. And it's really sweet. I will warn you, episode two, extremely horny. It, the first episode is going to win you over. The first episode is really good. Well, uh, the second episode, episode wins me over. <laughs> the first episode will win you over. The second episode, and will and will like teach you to love these characters. The characters are just adorable. Um, they're so sweet. It's really cute. And then there's a, a scene, you know, there's a whole extended scene that takes like way too freaking long where basically the entirety of episode two is like Gojo freaking out because he has to measure her to take to take her measurements for the for the outfit that he's going to make for her. And it's way too horny. Um, and then it lays off of that and becomes, I think, a lot better after that. So I will I'll just put that out there that like this is one of the like most instant like, wow, what a great character. I love her, uh, you know, that she's she's great. Uh, and it's such a sweet little romance show. If you can get over the hump of it over being a little hornier than over I would have appreciated. I know. Um, I will also just say, like, um, I am open to anime recommendations. If you uh, if you have them, like, hit me up. If you uh, if you have an anime that you think uh, I'm overlooking that's really good and isn't uh, isn't painful in one way or another, which is my eternal struggle with anime. There's just. There's just so much bad anime. It's it is one of the four pillars of modern misery. And why do I do this to myself? Um, <laughs> but there we have it. So Shane, what's making you happy this week? I had a couple of friends over and we watched the new Guillermo del Toro movie Nightmare Alley. Ooh. And oh my god, really good movie. I really loved it. I really want to see it. Don't this spoil is... it for me. Well, Move on. Okay, I won't spoil it for you. Um, the I'll just I'll just give kind of the setup a little bit and uh because yeah, I know I know nothing about it so I, I the, I'm open to hearing about it but I just you know yeah go, go go easy on me yeah you if you if you're an, very anti-spoiler uh especially you can kind of skip this segment um my wholehearted recommendation is to go watch this movie it's still in theaters if you want I think you can go mm-hmm. find it there uh or you can watch it on literally two different streaming services you can find it on hulu and on hbo i think so um the the thing to know about this is guillermo del toro like he's to me my favorite stuff of his is the weird creature stuff right and the shape of water mm, par excellence this is him leaning also into the romance, I think. He's getting really good at doing romance. Uh, but then also uh, less of the weird, you know, un- unspeakable creatures. Uh, but he's bringing the, uh, what to me, it really reminds me of the production on Carnival from mm. HBO oh. those years ago, right? Because it's a it's a that show was really good setting. and was just like I it, like it didn't end up getting a final season that like yeah. it really needed and kind of dropped off. I think yeah, it was a, comic. What a shame. Oh the, um, yeah, I forgot about that. There was a uh, but yeah the 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 setup here is 
it's also a, you know a, a carnival same kind of I get I, I honestly don't remember what the year is supposed to be it's like Dust Bowl era or something like that mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure on timeline anyway oh I looked this a, up during the movie I can please do uh, if you have the num if you know exactly but stylistically yeah, it's, it's like a no year. right so uh, and worth mentioning I've I've discovered now later so I, I didn't know nope I just saw Del Toro's name and I was like okay I'll click on that. Uh, love to watch. Had some friends over. Um, checked it out. We um, the noir stuff is perfectly done. Right there, there are scenes in this that are um, like the set and the costumes and the choices being made by the actresses, especially all like perfectly hit the um, the film noir early style right and the uh what the story really is is it's a it's a perfect tragedy and you don't see that that much it's so good i just have to say like the, in, the cast incredible now i'm we've talked a lot oh thank you laura uh late so this is the late 1930s into the early 1940s and it does have a long time period that's covered in this story it starts off in this carnival, uh, but it goes to some really unexpected places, you know, and I absolutely loved the characters, the acting, um, the sets in particular are so good. It's shot in Buffalo, New York, because Guillermo de Toro was like, I am tired of seeing the same cities everywhere. So he built a whole carnival, but once it leaves the carnival and it is shot in Buffalo, New York, in actual Art Deco buildings, like their their town hall, and it is spectacular. You are suddenly seeing lobbies you've never seen before. There's only totally a few gorgeous. created sets in the second half of the movie, but he shot a lot in like actual places, and it makes such a difference. And the the Probably lighting too. is 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 gorgeous. Uh, there's um. There's scenes where the characters are just lit so uh, perfectly for the style and the era that it just – they have apparently like done a like a theatrical release of the movie that you can see that's in black and white. And I can tell why they did that. I'm not usually like that in favor. They did that to um, – Terry Road. That's what I was thinking of. Exactly. Yeah. The, they called it the black and chrome edition. And I think that was more of like a DVD extra thing. I, I, I looked at it. And I was like, eh, no. But I would ch- consider checking this out because there there was it, – it felt black and white in the way it was shot, even if it wasn't black and white. Like it was – they were doing a lot with color. But that, that said, you know, the color is is doing a lot of work in this movie too. So I would I would watch the color version. I mean, it intentionally was made to – he talked to the cinematographer and said, we are going to shoot it as if we were shooting in black and white color-wise because, like, that's what's going to give it the old older feel on modern cameras. And then because of COVID, they were like, well, we've got a while for reshoots. Let's actually try doing the color conversion. And then he was like, oh, man, this looks great. <laughs> we're going to release yeah. this. I'm so sad yeah. that apparently like Bradley Cooper was just hanging around New York and did a 
like showed up to one of the screenings I like thought about going to and then I don't know probably just decided it was raining and I wasn't going to go see the black and white version and didn't go and I feel really <laughs> kind of dumb but um I I will like I, I saw it twice because I saw it in theaters myself and then I saw it with uh Justin and uh Guillermo Toro really is one of my favorite directors I kind of have I've been to his exhibit of his house, like all the stuff in his house. And he had a statue from Freaks, the old carnival movie. Like mm-hmm. he actually had mm-hmm. a model from the movie, like full size, life size of one of the freaks. And I I'm seeing all of this DNA of like everything he's ever loved. The other thing I want to ask you, Shane, of like um There's a big callback to Devil's Backbone in it. Yeah. I was also gonna ask about tarot. Tarot is a huge part of the book, yeah. apparently. It is, yeah. Um, um, well, I mean, I, I thought the the tarot was – it is used really um, specifically. At, when I talked about it being – the movie being a tragedy, um, a big part of, you know, the, the tragic storyline is for the person who's on the self-destructive path or destructive path – uh, has to be warned lots of times, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, the Greeks had a chorus for it. Um, and here, um, there's, there's a, there's a tarot reading that is done at the middle of the movie. That is, I thought it was a great scene. That's Tony Collette in a terrific role. Um, very cool. I don't know. It was, I, 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 I don't have that much perspective on uh, the tarot. No, I just wanted to say, like, if you're thinking about watching it and you are interested in tarot, there's a lot of extra, like, signposting and, like, fun flashes. (laughs) Justin made his pause and, like, look at all the cards. (laughs) So he could be like, Mm -hmm. okay, that's this card. That means this. And, like, he he felt very excited about it. So that is an extra layer if that's a thing you're into. Apparently the original book is every chapter is named after a different tarot card. So do you know Mm. what the – hanged man upside down at the end of his reading what what does that mean in terms of the tarot of it do you know the book is there is a like a specific article that i think someone wrote for the criterion collection of the original film about this mm-hmm. um the the hangman upside down is like a one of the more pretentious cards of like um I am not a tarot expert, so I would just be repeating what I read on the internet. But I, I think the idea is it's one of the most like faded cards. It's a heavily they, loaded card. It and it is so well in the in the in the movie. It's like, you know, the that's just one of the times when you you can tell that this that things are going wrong. <laughs> and wow, what a what a tragic downfall. Yeah. It is definitely the like the idea is that the hangman is there by his own free will because he's chill. He's got that look on his face. Um, but it's a period of indecision and like an action. And it's kind of like, that's kind of why it's like a portent. It's like a, a very, a big moment and turning it is like a writing action. So when he's just like, Oh, you can turn it upside down. It's like, Oh no, you do not get what this card means. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Listeners feel a- free to replace, but like, you can look up all the, um, 
you know, resisting your fate, like all of that is tied up into this card, which is all great for the moment and thing. It's just an extra. He is the hangman in the book. On the, the cover of the book, I think, is the character is a hangman. I'm definitely going to have to watch this movie a few more times because I can tell I'm going to get a, a it's it's such a perfect little construction of a story, but there are all these little things that feel like they're hidden in it uh, in different ways. So I, I, I really want to explore it more. Watch it again. Awesome. I would like to see it. Uh, so, hey, maybe, you know, pop up here. We'll watch it on my my setup and uh, cool. I would like to see it. I haven't watched it yet, so really looking forward to checking it out. Uh, Laura, what's making you happy this week? (laughs) If you have anything other than the Xbox. I do. I somehow have been doing other things besides the Xbox somehow. Um, I will say that my stuff's all a little bit light and scattershot because honestly, I was watching a ton of Olympics. uh, So like things that were exciting to me were like um, Nathan Chen, like dancing to Benny and the Jets and uh, that kind of stuff, because I, I do like figure skating and snowboarding and watching those things. But I will suggest two TV shows that are quite different. One is we are in our last season of our Star Trek Deep Space Nine watch, and oh, yes. it is a very good show. Um, I will say mm-hmm. that the first season's a little rough, but there's like the worst episode there of the worst episode of DS9 is still watchable, which is not the case with <laughs> Next Generation. Um, it's just like the consistency level of like a mediocre episode is still pretty good, especially when it really gets cooking. Um, and they're having a lot of fun with these episodes. Uh, the holodeck stuff is just spectacular this season. They're ending it nicely. I'm sure there's going to be tons of last season's shenanigans, but it's really reminding me like these characters are super strong and that they can put them in a lot of different situations. It's so much more because Deep Space Nine, that one of the differences between that and other Star Treks is it is on a space station. These people all live together. They're not going from place to place. They have to stay here. So people come by in, in and out. There's a lot of just people stopping by the station. It's their home. If they mess up relationship with the planet that's like right next door. That planet is always going to be next door. So they have to actually deal with politics, nearby politics. Religion plays a huge part in this. Prophecy shows up. All of these extra layers uh, that other shows couldn't really delve into for more than an episode become very layered and very complex. Cardassians have to be a character. The Ferengis end up being like more than one Ferengi is a character. <laughs> They're not like that is if you just watched um, one of the other shows, you'd been like, oh, Ferengis, those are those the greedy trader people who show up and make a joke episode. Having three fleshed out Ferengi characters, including one who gets like a romance, just absolutely wild what they do with the show. I uh, found it very rich and not, uh, they deal with war in a, there is a like seven part, episode between two seasons they just do all this very strange for star trek stuff it feels much more like a modern sci-fi in many ways um i'll say that one of my favorite characters started out real bad (laughs) season one and then uh became very very deep indeed so i am sad to see the show 
uh, show up in the rearview mirror, but I have really enjoyed watching that one. That's been on my list to like watch because I I've, think it has I've a watched, bad pilot. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've watched some of it over the years, but I've never really sat down to watch like a serious stretch of Deep Space Nine. And I've watched a pretty good chunk, uh, maybe not every episode, but the majority of um, uh, of um, OG's uh, Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but Deep Space Nine, everyone everyone always says that's their favorite Trek. And, and I think it's a little – I say that I don't think the pilot is super good. I think it's just because it's got pilotitis and all of the characters are characters are just like caricatures of themselves a bit. Um. They also have the first season, like a bunch of characters who are from previous, the other show just stopped by to lend some like charisma to the episode. And you're just like, get off. This is not your show. Like, get off the ship (laughs) or stay if you're O'Brien and become a main character. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's been delightful. I really have enjoyed it. And the second one is, if you're not a Star Trek fan and not willing to watch seven seasons of sci-fi, there is a network sitcom that's great. I cannot shout this from the rafters enough. Abbott Elementary is a delight. Oh, uh, it's, I, I think hope I saw it's a promo for that or something, but I don't know anything about it. It, t- Yeah, it's, it's about teachers, right? Yes. So it is about elementary school teachers in Philly uh, at a mostly black elementary school. And it is about a group of like some teachers have been there for a long time. There's two newer ones who have just passed the two year mark. They're the last two of their like generation of new teachers who are still there. Um, It's got a lot of like real talk about like we don't fund our schools well enough and teachers have a really hard time of it, but they make a very funny bent of it. For example, they talk about like making wish list videos that need to go viral to get school supplies, but that's, the the joke is then about making the video, not about like hammering in how bad it is. I've got real Superstore vibes from it, and it mm. is like Superstore in the office. People are comparing it to Parks and Rec, but Parks and Rec um, never got to be like, and politics suck, and that's why we're underfunded. <laughs> At the same time, they're making jokes. Um it's got this wonderful mix of earnestness and humor and a little bit of cheese because like it is elementary school students and like it's got a heart in its sleeve, but it's just as likely to make a joke about like stuff falling off the truck in Philly and that's how we got new carpets. Like <laughs> it, it's a really delightful thing. I'm so happy it seems to be a hit. Like this show should run thousands of seasons and it's like a show I feel like almost everybody will like. Awesome. Throw uh, money that, at them. Keep which them. Which network is this on? It's on ABC. Awesome. Okay. I would like to see that. So thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And streaming uh, on Hulu if you are a cord cutter. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so listeners, thank you very much for joining us on this extended What's Making Us Happy episode of The Short Game. This is a bit of a weird format for us. Um, it might be a bit, a bit of a weird edit. We'll see. Uh, so uh, hopefully we're getting this to you in a reasonable amount of time. Next week, we're returning to our normal uh, format, and we're talking about uh, Dodgeball Academia. There's also, if you're a patron, there is a poll up on the Patreon right now uh, that is should still be open, I think, when you're hearing this episode. Um, maybe I'll bump the end date of the poll an extra couple of days just to make sure. And uh, you are that's just... a 
gathering folks' suggestions about uh, what we're covering uh, over the next little while. So uh, I put up a bunch of options, and you can take a look and vote on what you are most interested in seeing. Um, but also, if you have other thoughts, uh, that's another great way to let us know is, uh, you know, vote on the poll, of course. But if there's something that you want to see or hear us talk about that isn't on the poll, you can comment on there or drop us a line any of the other ways that you can contact us. And and that includes uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash the short game, where you can uh, even just a dollar a month, you get immediate access to our discord, which is where we talk about the show and plan future episodes and chit chat and make fun of each other and so on. Um, and it's a great place to drop suggestions. We have a channel just for that. Um, but of course, you can also drop us suggestions on Twitter at underscore short game. Uh, and we love to chat with our listeners there. Just uh, uh, tag us. Uh, also, uh, I'm on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. And Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at 8BitShane. And thanks once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.